you believe you could recognize such a case? I'm certain of it. Very well. We'll call it a test. There are several patients upstairs with the sort of condition you describe. Go up there. Talk to them. If you can recognize who is or was Dr. Starr, then I'll consider you qualified for the position. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation last week about uh, San Junipero, the Black Mirror episode. I hope, for love of God, you watched that episode before listening to our conversation about it. Because, please, if we if we ruined any one moment of that for you, I just, that would break my heart. Um, and I, I hope that you, you guys watched it. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. Um, I will never, never, never want to not watch. There's a lot of negatives there to watch that episode. I adore it. So thank you, Terry, for, uh, you know, letting me gush upon, uh, you know, with you and Sandra DePero. Uh, it was a great conversation. I'm glad I was able to finally see it. Even in talking to uh, some uh, some friends lately, they're like, yeah, you're welcome. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, you've you've talked to other people that have like watched all of Black Mirror. Is that like, is yeah, that, okay. uh, one of my best friends, uh, Adam. Big shout out to Adam. He's a a fan of the show. Uh, he is like full haul hog on Black Mirror, and he's been telling me about the the jubilation of me finally getting into the series itself. And it's like, I mean, there it's such an emotional show, and it's like. I can't wait for the next season too. Like now I'm like seething to get to it. Like, and I haven't even watched all of what's been presented <laughs> to this point. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a good thing, right? Like if it makes you excited for more and knowing that maybe just maybe sometimes black mirror isn't just a gut punch and it doesn't just leave you bawling your eyes out. Well, in a, in a, in a bad way, you know, like doesn't always just leave you like, you know, all right, well, I hate life now, you know? So anyway, um, so yeah, thank you for that. I'm glad that other people have uh have let you know the 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 highs and lows of Black Mirror, which we we know that. But thank you for watching San Junipero. Um, welcome to Strange Highways, everybody. This is the podcast with which we watch the Twilight Zone uh, in order. It is an anthology based podcast. We've we've covered the original series, all five all five seasons originally. We've covered both. Um, seasons of the Paramount Plus series as well. And um, we've covered the first half of the 80 series. We are taking some detours right now because it took us like nine months to get through that first half of that first season. Um, and now we're in spooky season. We're officially in spooky season now. Terry, we're finally, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that me personally, I, I don't, I like Halloween. I, I don't, maybe I'm not as, as much as a fan as you with it, but 
I think October one through 31, that's the time to get spooky. Not, not July 1st through, uh, through November, you know, 30th or whatever. Well, I mean, you know, you say that now, but you know, <laughs> I, I was somehow influenced by my opinions and my lifestyle onto you slowly, but surely through every conversation that you will be wearing a big Jack Lantern shirts <laughs> from yes. September 1st all the way to November 1st. So I, just, I don't know. You know I, it's weird. Cause every time you come over to my house, Fine. I see you purposely taking t-shirts of mine that are not black and throwing them away. Like, it's just, yeah. you're like, what is, what is this color shit? You just throw it away. And I'm like, no, I like that. And you're like, no, you don't. You like Halloween is what happens. You know, like, and then you switch all, all of the spices in my house to pumpkin spice. It's weird. I don't like it. But I love you, so I just try to keep them out of your view, so you don't change them all the time. Just, I just want you to feel the influence. You know? <laughs> like it, it, it is the best time of year, damn. It. I just feel like my wife's always in the background with like that Jack Nicholson gif of the yes whenever you come over. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, the nodding, exactly. yes, you, you know. So, <laughs> but so yeah, we're in the spooky season, so we're gonna take some detours before we get back to the Twilight Zone. I hope you guys. Uh, will join us on these detours. Uh, it's always fun to go in different directions. And this time around, this episode, we're covering an anthology film or a portmanteau film. We'll get to that more in a second. Called Asylum. It's from 72. It's from Amicus Films. Uh, uh, air date is uh, November 17th, 1972. Uh, Terry, you told me before we started recording, you had some information about that date. So what do you got? Uh, a little bit, yeah. yeah. So uh, a song of that time, number one song, was I Can See Clearly Now by Johnny Nash. And uh, the... The number one film of that time was, let me see here, make sure it's in, uh, the Velatri Papers. I have no idea. Oh, what the Velatri Papers. Is that what it's called? The, yeah. That, that's a that's a Charles Bronson movie. Oh, goodness. It, um, yeah. I actually ended up recently buying um, a four Blu-ray set from Best Buy of four Bronson movies. And one of them was the Velatri Papers. I've not actually watched it yet, because it's, but it's Chuck Bronson. You know, yeah. like um, I'm, I'm not completely uh, like familiar with that year as far as film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the ones that are big standouts, obviously, uh, some that we've talked about in previous conversations. A uh, Dirty Harry was a big film of that year. Uh, for a long running time, The Godfather was. I mean, for like three months, was the number one film, and uh, the end film, which is a uh, you know. December 27th, because I'm not not sure when we're going to get back to 1972, but The Poseidon Adventure, which I think is an incredible film, but yeah, that was a number one film for December 27th, so... Yeah, those uh, those four films are the highlights of that time. I, d- I didn't realize that the Veloci Papers was the number one film. Like I just when I bought that four pack, it was like I bought it because of um, uh, Hard Times, which is a film I've heard plenty about. Right? It's um, Lee, uh, Lee Marvin and Chuck Bronson. Like it's a, a prison boxing movie, and I'm like, that oh, sounds you did really talk cool. about this one time. I'm yeah. not. Well, I'm not. Like I mean, it's been it's been suggested to us by other people to watch um, other people that we know we may talk about later when we get to uh, recommending other things at the end of the show that you may have been a part of recently. So um, spoilers there, everybody we're teasing, we're teasing um, things Terry did. We'll talk about that. Not that, not that we're like, you know, Terry did some cool shit. We'll talk about that when we get to the social media stuff. Remind me, Terry. Terry, you, you did Terry cool always shit. does yes. cool shit. What are Terry you talking d- about? Terry always does cool shit. Terry always refers to himself as Terry. Follow Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Terry does cool shit on Instagram. Not. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hashtag Terry does cool shit. All right. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, okay. That's, that's uh, the stuff that happened on that date. 
Uh, so let's get into this a little bit. So before we talk about who did what for the film Asylum, um, so this is an Amicus release. Uh, uh, we have talked about Amicus before on the show. Well, actually, sorry, Amicus adjacent. Years and years ago, uh, the film The Monster Club was covered here on the show. Um, that was produced by one of the producers of Amicus after Amicus kind of rants course. But Amicus was known for the, these uh, mainly these anthology films. They, they would call them portmanteau films. Um, they the company itself, the production company, was active through sixty two six sorry sixty two seventy seven. Um, very much a lot of British releases. I didn't realize it was founded by two Americans, which I think is funny. It's like, hey, we're Americans. We're gonna go over there and make movies. But they did um they did a lot of uh, these anthology films like and uh, what was it um Tales from the Crypt. Uh, Vault of Horror and From Beyond the Grave uh, with Asylum in there as well. Uh, so a lot of those were, like we talked about anthology, a lot of like big like uh, genre stars in there as well. Um, and then um, they also did a couple a couple um, like full-length releases. The one that I, I enjoy a great deal is um, The Beast Must Die. But a lot of people confuse this amicus with Hammer um, because like they're both like releasing films around the same time. But Hammer... I did a lot more period pieces while Amicus stayed more in the modern time. So this is one of those films, like one of these companies that you probably have seen at least in passing. You just may not realize who they are. And like, cause they, they kind of, they, they were successful, but they weren't out like, um, like the big breakout that maybe you might be thinking of some of these other production houses. Well, and especially with our discussion that we're going to have tonight, um, some of the actors participated in a lot of the hammer stuff as yes. well. Uh, case in point, we have uh, Peter Cushing, uh, who is like the big name within this movie, mm-hmm. who did a lot of Hammer stuff. Yeah. So, like with that said, it's like I can understand why um, maybe some of the audience for these films cuts some of the facts, uh, maybe confused or whatever. But like I, there is still a, a style difference between the two. And it's very noticeable when you finally do see them and kind of boil them down to their, their base facts. No, and you're right. I agree with that. I'm just like, I, uh, for me, my, my knowledge of what Amicus was, it didn't occur to me until later in life when I started actually, someone was like, this is an Amicus film. This is a hammer film. Like, and I am not at all versed in the hammer stuff. So like, I'm very, um, you know, I'm very ignorant about that, but it's like, you know, it's just one of those things that like as a casual viewer of like at the time you, you may not like realize like, Oh, they were kind of doing their own thing and have some success with it, you know? And like, so credit, credit where it is. And you know, it didn't, it, I mean, it lasted what, like 15 years, which is like, you know, that's no small amount of time, but like, you know, there's, there's other production companies that have lasted longer and have had maybe a little bit more tail to their films. But yeah, I think Amicus is important to point out. Uh, you know, for what they did. And when I, when I mentioned the monster club that one of the producers in Amicus made that film after Amicus stopped being a thing. So, but it feels, if you ever see the monster club, it feels very Amicus related. So I'll just say that. Yeah, very much so. And like, again, you have people participating within that production. Yeah. Peter Cushing as well. And that is, yeah. Yeah. So like there's connective tissue there Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the entire film that like, already harkens back to what was priorly done to within that amicus um 
uh, company. Yes. So, all right. So that's, that's kind of the groundwork. I mean, there's a lot more there. Um, like I, I, like go do what I did. Look on Wikipedia. There's some information there, but I just want to at least give the groundwork for the company. Cause I think that's worthy of a note. Uh, cause this is a very, um, very like it is of time of its time and place. And they, they had a particular style and this film shows it in spades, you know? So, um, I, I have seen, um, I will say that of the other Amicus films, um, other than the beast must die, I have seen, Oh, what was it? Um, uh, beyond the grave. I've seen that. Um, and I don't think I've seen the other two, um, Tales from the Crypt or Vault of Horror. I don't think, man, have I seen them? Maybe I've seen Vault of Horror. Anyway, I have have a double feature of both of them. And I will say that if anybody's listening to this now and they're not familiar with, uh, the Amicus stuff, those two films is a good, uh, stepping stone into the genre of like what they were trying to achieve in that. Cause it is a, a well-balanced, like, uh, of good storytelling and kind of keeping it a little bit more dark in narrative and that, mm-hmm. like, I think they kind of have a Gothic feel to them too. Yeah. Like I, it, it like, it's like with the, especially if you don't know anything about hammer, like I say dip into these two films, uh, tales from the crypt and vault of horror. And then, jump right into all the hammer stuff. Cause I think you'll have a good time if you have that, your stepping stone. Okay. So this is kind of like get your toes wet and then jump into the hammer things. That, that makes sense. That feels hell like yeah. That. Because it's, I, it's I, a good gateway drug. Yeah. Yeah. They're well-crafted films for, for sure. And like there's, especially if you like, uh, uh, anthology, they have some really, really good, well-crafted stories within those two films. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I've seen like the, the, was it the vault of horror? Like, and there's some good stuff in there too, but I've not seen the other two. So that's a shame on me. So like, maybe I'll be able to get off, get off my ass and actually watch them and, and, you know, do my job <laughs> and, and not fail everybody else listening to us right now as we talk about this stuff. So, um, so yeah, asylum, uh, let's get into like what, so this will be a little different cause there's a number of segments. Um, you know, you know, us, we could, uh, talk until the cows come home. Um, you know, until, uh, until, uh, what was the, what's the, the name here until Lucy comes home or whatever it's called. Um, what's the name of the, Lucy comes to stay. We could talk until Lucy comes to stay, but we're going to try to streamline this a little bit. Uh, just a heads up. Uh, this film is available to watch on freebie, which is the Amazon service that is like with ads. Um, I, I have the Blu-ray, but I was being lazy. So I decided when I was upstairs, I watched it on freebie. Um, you know, the, the interruptions, they are what they are, but they're about two minutes each when they happen. Not that bad. Perfectly easy, breezy film to watch. It's it's available to watch for free. Terry, I don't know how you watched it. Um, where did you see this ad? I ended up watching it on Prime. And I will say that um, just because of advertisements, you'll have a, a, a good time just knowing when they drop. <laughs> it's weird. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Some of the, like, it's like, Oh, that's a weird moment. It's like, like there was a bit where it's like, we're going to, we're going to look in this thing. And it's like, it suddenly cuts to like a Taco Bell commercial. I'm like, wait, wait, what are they looking at in this freezer? Like, you know, like, <laughs> Dude, no joke. Absolutely. No joke. Like this is the biggest perpetrator of things that are happening now, as far as free television and that, where they're like commercial break when it's completely unnecessary. Like, 
So yeah. I will bring up one of those and one of Please. our storylines no, here. It's it hilarious. I will say that the ad breaks don't seem to be as as um, as offensive as some other services that are free to watch. I'll just say that. Jesus yeah. Christ. This, is, <laughs> no, this, this isn't perfect. I'll agree with you. But honestly, for the love of God, people just watch it with the commercials at this point now, because I want to see what, please reach out to us and tell us, tell us what your experience was. It does kind of ruin some of the suspense, you know, like, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so the first segment, yeah. So when we get in here, sorry, let's get into, uh, um, writer and director here. Sorry, before we get into the segment. So, um, I'll, I'll, I'll take this. So directed by, uh, Roy Ward, Roy Ward Baker. Um, I thought this was interesting that he was an assistant director on The Lady Vanishes, a Hitchcock film. So there you go. Uh, and then he actually did uh, Quatermass in the Pit and The Vault of Horror, uh, Quatermass in the Pit. Um, if people want to listen to some of um, was it the Nigel Neal conversation about his story, uh, recently on another show that I've done called Evasion of the Podcast, we're doing our year of Carpenter, and we talked about Prince of Darkness, which is very much inspired by Quatermass in the Pit and Nigel Neal. So thought that was a nice little tie in there. I don't know if you have any notes about uh, Roy Ward Baker. Well, kind of hearkening back to something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, he also did monster club. Yeah, that's true. Why did I, you know, if you guys like, I know I get a little loosey goosey. If you want to hear me, you want to hear the elevator go down in the last 20 minutes of an episode. Don't check that one out. That's I, oof. anyway, I was drinking uh Kraken that day and uh, you know, the monster club almost got me. Um, so if, yeah. Whew. If you've been recently, uh, recently listening, and you've uh, heard me go down that same path. Uh, please exploit exploit Paul in oh, his way. No, no, to no, go no, down no. that same elevator trap. You know, or, uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's just trap, one. It's one of those times where it's like even even the back of my head. I'm like, this isn't good. You know, like. <laughs> Hey, I had fun with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, all right. So this was written by Robert Block. He did all of it, which we've talked about him previously, because uh, uh, when we did our coverage of Twilight Zone, the movie, he wrote the novelization, and he got a little weird with, um, what was it the kick the can segment about the woman oh. dreaming about her cat becoming a man and her having an affair with it or something? It got weird. That was never in the movie. That up. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, extremely odd. Yeah. But he, you know, but it's like, oh yeah, that's the first thing I bring up versus him writing Psycho. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like you know, the guy wrote Psycho, whatever, blah, 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 the Hitchcock, what, what? whatever, very important. Psycho? He also wrote about, uh, like, what? he wrote about a cat sex dream. I don't know what. <laughs> Bates Motel, yeah, what, that right? guy too. That that's guy, like yeah. the guy who created that entire universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he actually wrote a couple other films for. Amicus. I think this is the last one he wrote for them. So he had a successful career with them. You know, you got to respect Robert Block. I mean, he's, you know, he wrote the book that's become like one of the, the, the most popular horror films of all time. You know, like I, I've not read psycho the book. I, I will admit to that. But again, if you have the source material and you actually end up becoming responsible for one of the most iconic films ever made, you know, credit to you. Right. So Yeah. Robert Block, hats off, regardless of how we're going to talk about some of these stories, you know, you hit a home run that far, you know, you never have to pay for a drink in your life. You know, that's, you know, right. Yeah. And he did bridge the gap between, um, that series and, um, you know, Alfred Hitchcock and that. That's true. Yeah. And what we typically, uh, have conversations about, he worked, uh, on an episode of night gallery as well. Okay. That makes, yeah, that, that, that tracks. So, yeah. So, um, so um, let's get into the, the actual movie itself. Uh, so we have we have the the, the framing story here. Uh, do we want to like, like I, 
this is weird because we're going to get into some like actors and things. I know we normally do our cast and crew, but like, it's just, I don't know, man. Like we're like, let's, let's talk about who's in the frame the beginning with, and we'll run through the different segments. How about that? That seems like the best way yeah. to do this at this point. So the framing of this, we got a uh, Dr. Martin who's played by Robert Powell. Uh, he played Jesus once. That was my big thing for him. And if you see him, you're like, Oh yeah, he could be Jesus or like Eric idols, like stunt double. Anyway, um, he is being brought to this asylum um, to basically apply for a job in person. He ends up meeting um, Dr. Lionel Rutherford played by Patrick McGee, who was in the monster club telephone, a film we've covered here years ago that had Charles Bronson and it's, and also tales from the crypt, the one that Amicus produced um, Lionel Rutherford, the doctor Rutherford's in a wheelchair. Um, they talk for a minute and basically uh, Dr. Martin's like, Hey, Dr. Star told me to come out here and you know, there's, that's the job, you know, I'm applying for this, this job. And uh, Rutherford's like, Oh, um, I I've read your reports and everything. And like star's not here, blah, 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 blah. And then like, basically that becomes the crux of the story. But there's one other person here. We want to mention that is um, Jeffrey uh, Bowden as Max Reynolds. That is like the upstairs attendant. Um, He was in monster club as well. And Jim Henson's the storyteller. That's another anthology thing. We might want to dig into sometime. It's a fun show. But the whole thing that we get with this is that um, we find out that um, Rutherford's basically testing Dr. Martin saying, hey, uh, Star's not here because uh, this is an asylum with people that are beyond help. And we, you know, like they're all they're all doing their own thing. And uh, Star attacked me and he's up he's up there now, but he has taken on a personality. And so in a weird thing, like Rutherford's like, hey, if you can figure out who Dr. Star is, you get the job. That that's an interesting setup, but it doesn't seem ethical at all. It seems really weird to me. Very much so. And I am I was like kind of confused and like how that was playing out. It's like, so you are letting the uh the people run this facility at this point now? Like just because possibly you you can't get it underhand. I I was really confused by that. I was like, I like that's a that's a weird first uh interaction with somebody you're trying to employ. Well, Cause the whole thing is he, he's like in a wheelchair and he's like, I turn my back on a patient and we find out that that patient was Dr. Star and because he can't go upstairs because it's 1972. So nothing is handicap accessible. Uh, he's like, yeah, I've, I've trusted, I've trusted Max to help me out up there. And he's like, also I have this button down here that just opens and closes. This is like this door that doesn't have a lock. You know, it's all, it's all above board, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's so, it's so weird, but like I was looking at the credits and there was something that actually conducted the music for this film and they did a little bit of composing, but I don't know about you, but it felt like this movie was like stock music. It was public domain music. Cause like, and it's like, all, and that's fine. All. That's fine. But it's like, it's very dramatic, you know, like. <laughs> The entire time. And then we get Dr. Dr. Martin walking up the stairs and like being like, you know what? It almost felt like it felt like a Resident Evil game where I'm like, I'm gonna look at that picture for a minute. Oh. That I hated this sequence. <laughs> I, I hated it. Could like, you could you literally like could you literally like watch this and hear somebody in the background like, we have to pad it for feature length? Did you hear like did you hear that where it's like we got you gotta have them look at every every drawing for five goddamn minutes, you know, like it it really yeah. did feel that way. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and even these drawings were so like not even disturbing. They were just annoying. <laughs> yeah, I like it's like 
Why is that person coming to asylum? Oh, because they did the with their thumb with the, with their thumb on their nose yeah. and wiggling their fingers and their like their tongue out. It's like I don't know. They made a funny face. Like I feel like those two girls from One Crazy Summer would be put in here because their faces got freeze like that. You know, like, <laughs> um, someone slapped them on, on the back. back and they got crazy and they got put in the asylum. You know, like this, um, yeah, this was like way too long of a sequence. And honestly, if this guy gave up a flying yet about his, his position in this company, he wouldn't be like focused on this. Cause he's supposed to go up and, you know, like obviously pay attention to what his job really is. And what the hell, like what place, like a, a upstanding place would have these drawings on their wall. Yeah. Right. I just, it's like, okay. So I'll say, if you go back and watch um, the monster club, there's some, there's some of those drawings kind of like that as well, but it's like, it's a little bit more like it's like, I, I don't mind that kind of like woodcut, like, you know, like this is how we treated, well, let me rephrase the documentation of mental illness at the time. Like, I don't mind that, but these drawings aren't good. You know, like it's just no. mainly the, most of them are just like, this person's making funny faces. This person is being a little unruly. This person's a woman. You know, like whatever. It's like, it's just, all right. You know, anyway. So yeah, he takes all his time to go up there and you have to go. He looks like, that's why I was making like the Resident Evil joke. It's like, you got to look at every photo. You got to look at every picture and like, you got to take a note because it could be part of a puzzle later. We don't know. Right. Uh, then he goes up to you that. You have to unlock a door. Or something, <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, know? is there any shapes here I need to remember for later? You know, like, um, what is the order of the seasons? You know, so. Uh, he goes upstairs and I miss, I misheard this um, when um, he was given the challenge where I heard the statement of like, there are several patients upstairs. I read that as seven. I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, I've seen this before. There's not seven patients upstairs. So I want to ask you, you look at the runtime real quick. You're like, wait, how wait, long is this? Yeah. I was again? just like, wait a second. I was like, are there like two to a room? You know? Um, um, so I was going to ask you like, have you ever, like, when you know there's four, have you ever referred to four as several? I, I mean, that seems weird to me. <laughs> you know, like, when I think of several, it's like, I think that's seven or above. Maybe I'm the idiot here. I don't know. But it just seemed weird to me. Of like, there's several people up there. It's like, no, there's four and an orderly. So that's five. You should be like, there's five real people up there for you to talk to. I, I, don't, I, I don't think I would speak in generalizations. I would just be like, there are this many patients up there. Yes. You know which, what you have to which, do. Which, by the way, would have you know given up the ghost a little bit, right? <laughs> you know? Like, Fair enough, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, a little bit of ambiguity, right? So, yeah. So then we get – we get. Um, I also like it whenever uh, Martin's up there talking to the orderly. And he's, like, talking to Max. And he's like, oh, he's like, oh, there's all these rooms up here. And he's like, yeah, they're all locked. He's like, what about that one over there? He's like, oh, that's my office. I'm like, that seems suspicious. We'll get back to that later. So, um, the whole thing too, is that Martin keeps like asking Max questions about the different people around. He's like, I was told not to tell you who the doctor is and you have to figure it out for yourself. And it's like, <laughs> we're going to play games with human lives as much as Martin's offended by this. He seems game for it, which, you know, that's the whole thing too. Like I, I appreciate the whole, like the curiosity overpowers like every red flag. You know what I mean? Like where he's like, he feels like he's the smartest man in the room. Like I, I do appreciate that kind of like that. That's a good setup for like, like this kind of film, right? It's as, as a framing story goes, you could do a lot worse for an anthology movie. Worse. Yes. Better. <clears throat> definitely. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that the we'll tagline? Terry, is that the tagline for our, sh our show? Worse. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Better. Definitely. Is that the tagline for strange highways? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> 
anyway. You be the judge. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So the first segment we get here is uh, we go, we meet, um, we, what was it? We meet uh, um, Bonnie, right? Is it Bonnie? Mm-hmm. No, it's Ruth. Um, I well, forget. Sorry. Well, Bonnie, so, we meet well, Bonnie. We meet, we meet Bonnie in the room. Sorry. That's who we meet Bonnie and we don't see her face. And sorry. I'm like, are you going to say something? I was, I'm no, I was yeah. just going to say like, yeah, Bonnie is the character that we meet. Yeah. Pay, played by Barbara Perkins. That's it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, there's, I have no credits. Nothing stands out. No offense. Just uh, tons, very tons British. of bait and place. Yeah. Bait and place. We've t- uh, talked about on, uh, you know, other episodes of uh, Twilight Zone and that. So it was a long running series over like 600 episodes. It was a, it, that was one of those um, like Dallas type of situations. Yeah. Like though, one right? of those longstanding, like very British um, but soap operas, like credit, credit yeah. where credits do, but like, you know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really have any notes for her. Um, and then like, um, so the three, the three characters in this are, um, we got um, Barbara Perkins as Bonnie, Sylvia Sims is Ruth, who is still working, by the way. I just, I, I thought that was cool. And Richard Todd is Walter. The only, the only note for I have from him, he's, he was in Alfred Hitchcock's film Stage Fright. That's all I have for this, this portion of this. Yeah, it, uh, Sylvia Sims and uh, Richard Todd also participated in uh, uh, some uh, Doctor Who. That, that makes sense. That feels very appropriate. This segment is called Frozen Fear. Um, and so, yeah, we find out that, like, we don't see Bonnie's face and um, like, it's like, Oh, and Martin's like, well, just tell me what happened. Right. So that's here. Um, just give the synopsis. Like it's, it's um, I, like we don't have to go point for point, but I, th- I think this segment is definitely worth talking about. Okay. So the, the basic premise here is that there's an adultery uh, narrative. Uh, we got Richard Todd who is married to uh, well, Walter. We'll, let's put in character names here. Uh, Walter is married to Ruth, and apparently Ruth is uh, in a position of money, and she kind of has a stronghold over Walter, but Walter is not happy anymore. And there was kind of a moment of uh, where he was going to leave Ruth and propose that he was going to divorce her for this uh, this lady, Bonnie. Well, I guess, again, that power must be very strong because he... He threw that away and he said, no, I'm not going with Bonnie anymore. And I, I'm committed to you. So Bonnie, uh, Bonnie's out of the picture. But Ruth is also somebody who not only has a whole a bunch of money, but has a lot of knowledge of like voodoo arts or something like that. Yeah, you get like, the vibe. It's like this new age, like, you know, this mysticism, but it's also being mixed with like black magic type of thing. Cause Walter, he says voodoo and he's very derogative and he says some things that I'm not going to repeat here. Cause it is not, um, it's not appropriate. It's not aged well, but I understand that, you know, if you're going to write the character as like a racist and a bigot, yeah, that's Walter, you know, very but, much you know, so. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He is like the, the kind of guy who like waves a hand over. It's like, I don't get it. So it sucks. Uh, so yeah, Walter is kind of a dick, but Ruth is somewhat of a tyrant her oh, she's also a dick <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so she comes home from one of her uh her excursions uh in kind of like gaining more knowledge about this stuff and he passes it off like oh you are you done doing like your class or whatever and, and you know it, he's he's a real asshat himself but in that meantime though he was having a conversation about 
uh, meeting up with this Bonnie character as well and just being like, hey, don't don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. So we understand that Walter's got a side piece in Bonnie and something's going to happen to Ruth. And we're about to figure it out real soon. Well, yeah, because we get the idea that like he's still on the download talking to Bonnie and she's like, you got to do this. And he's like, I will, I will, I will. Right. And then it's like, so, so with, um, with Ruth knowing that he was supposedly like done with this and then the whole thing, he's like, oh yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm done with her. He's like, but also I have a surprise for you. He's like, what? And they go in the kitchen and she's like, well, he's like, it's in the basement. She's like, what? And then they go down there and he's like, oh, it's a freezer. And she's like, you know, I've always wanted a freezer. And he's like, yeah, I have another surprise for you too. And she's like, what? And he's like, ax to the head. You know, like, yeah. so <laughs> yeah, it was this little hatchet he pulls out and just loves yeah. the poor woman to death yeah. with this thing. And like, so we have this small bit of time where it's like time lapse. You can see that the, the sun is going down in, in, in the, uh, the windows it's it's a pretty interesting little bit of time it's, here. it's a nice time little lap. montage because you hear the sounds of effort of hacking cleaning and wrapping like, right wrapping as in wrapping not like you know not like making music <laughs> and i actually would really i'm i'm really interested to, uh, to know what walter's uh job is because he does a really really good job of wrapping all these pieces yeah he does like I mean, one that looks like perfect. Like, so we, we find out that he, you know, he's hacked up his wife spoilers and he's wrapped it in like the, the brown deli paper with like the little, um, Oh, the little like, um, thread when he tie call, cord. And yeah, all that. yeah. Yeah. The cord. Um, like he's made it like, you know, you, you go to like, go buy, you go to, I don't know, you go back 30 years to the butcher and they give you that you way. Buy salamis yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, so he's, he's hacked her and put her in the freezer, uh, and then he like, so Bonnie's already coming over cause they're about to, they're about to beat feet and get out. Um, but as he's like talking to her on the phone, he hears a noise. And so like, and this is the, like, I think this is my favorite segment of all of them, but as like, he's upstairs and he's talking to her and then he hears a noise and he hears a, like, here's a thump, 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 thump. And the head rolls into the kitchen that's wrapped up in this deli paper and is like there, meaning that somehow it got out of the freezer went upstairs and rolled into the kitchen and looked at him like, you know, and I also will say that on this, the second time watching this, I forgot that you could see the head breathing through the paper, which I think is the best part of this whole segment. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, this is obviously disturbing because, you know, he just did the deed. Like his wife is dead and wrapped up in this paper. And so it's like, there's no one else in the house. How would this, this head, kind of roll into scene and he takes the decanter and hucks it at the head <laughs> and the head, the head disappears. Yeah. It just, <laughs> it rolls away. Like it's a critter. Like, like it's a Kreitz. No, I'm kidding. Um, we don't see it, but I forgot to mention, she also had this, this, um, this, this wrist, um, bracelet on that was full of teeth or whatever. And she's like talking about like, like life and stuff. And I'm like, that's human teeth on your wrist. It's human teeth. It looks like human teeth. That's not a snake teeth. If snakes had teeth that big, their heads would be huge. Anyway, but whenever he hacks up her body, he tosses the bracelet in with her. And so I'm like, oh, you know what? You've never watched the Twilight Zone. You know this is going to be bad. You know. So anyway, I think the bracelet reanimates all the body parts. And he uh, goes downstairs to investigate. The thing's open. He get An arm reaches up with the deli paper on and grabs him in. And it's, it's pretty effective. Like, 
for being 72 and knowing that what you could get away with and whatnot, I think this is all very creepy and I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, prior to seeing this movie, I had seen Frankenhooker. <laughs> um, it's, it's not too far removed. Oh, I, I think put that out. I think that's a little bit more gory, though. But uh, yes, I'll agree with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, yeah, you know, not necessarily to this caliber of film, but uh, yeah, check it out. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That's a good call. <laughs> So, um, so then when Bonnie comes over, she thinks like she's in the clear. I also want to point out too, real quick. I love that there's things that happen in the seventies in this film that we wouldn't not consider today in 2022, how like one is she's like, I'll pull up to the back door and make sure you leave the back door unlocked. So I don't have to knock. Meaning like today it'd be like, I'll text you when I get here. Like there's a lot of forethought about how I'm going to creep into this house that we would never think about now. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, especially yeah. when you're disposing of a body. Too, That's fair. Right. Like you would think like that, Bonnie. Yeah. Bonnie sorry, puts ahead. that out there too. It's like, while we're going to the airport, it's easier to just get rid of the body at this point now. So we got to do the deed. And Walter is just like, but no, like I just, <laughs> I just want to like, you know, get to the bed, you know? Yeah. Like, I think he's just like, well, I got to do all the heavy lifting here. Like, Yes. I don't want to even do it anymore at this point. Do you think in 2022, you've been like, okay, I'm going to wrap this body up and just put it on Facebook marketplace and then be like free, free meat. Just come get it. Do you think it's like no questions asked, you know, somebody to come get it. Like no questions asked. You well, know? I mean, there are some curiosity <laughs> stores in that. So maybe, maybe that might work out. Oh, oh I need some torso meat anyway. So, uh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're not advocating this people. No, 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 no. (laughs) I know there's that, that, there, there's that Dahmer series that came out on Netflix. So like my wife's like, that looks interesting. I'm like, I have no interest in this. Like, I don't like, (laughs) I hear it's great. Just so you know, like I hear, I I went to a barber shop and I was just trying to get a haircut. Didn't know any of these people are like Dahmer, check it out. I'm glad that you said that versus going to a deli. That would have been way worse. (laughs) Well, there's, you know, It's yeah. still, uh, it's still awkward conversation to have. <laughs> Absolutely. So then, um, so then whenever uh, Bonnie gets there, she goes to the basement, she goes over and sees that Walter's in the freezer. He's dead. And then we get this whole sequence of how these, like we find out that with the, like with, uh, with Ruth, uh, she's been like somehow her body parts all over the place. Right. Are and, reanimated. Yeah. Well. And it's like, they're, but they're separate and it's really creepy with the exception of the torso that comes out. Cause you hear like this, like this drum, like boom, boom, as the torso is moving around. It's like, come on guys. It's 72. You realize this was supposed to be that. That's funny, right? That's really funny. But yeah, but the way that they kind of do it where they hide like some of the arms. So you actually get like, like somebody like reaching through with an actual arm. It's animated. Like it's all creepy. I'd also say, why can't you just run upstairs? Cause it seems like this thing's moving slow as all get out, but whatever you're terrified. And it, it's like, you, you can't process that this woman is in pieces uh, because of your request and she's coming to get you, you know, like that's all it's creepy, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's goofy. And if you like, I bet you, if you watch this, this part of the film with a group of people, people are going to laugh. Fair enough. But if you just boil it down to its idea, it's a very upsetting idea. 
it, it is upsetting, but I was definitely of the, of the frame of mind where I was laughing my ass <laughs> off. So it's, it's like immediately when, yeah. we, especially when we see uh, Bonnie go down the steps and then she's like at the bottom of the steps and looks towards the doorway when she sees the head and then slowly the door closes behind the head. I'm like, what's closing the door? <laughs> I wish that we would see like one of the legs just kicking it closed, like you know, whatever. No, uh, or the torso leaning against it, like like have the torso do something of like you know substance. instead of boom boom boom, boom. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like I mean, you almost want to put like yakety sacks over top of the sequence, right? Like, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you have we have a loose arm that is like you know over top that's eventually going to make its way down to um to bonnie's face it's it's fine like i get it like like if if you updated the sequence today i think my only worry would be that you'd do it to cgi and it would be it would lose some of the effect but the idea of a body like acting as a whole going after its target is creepy it it is creepy it probably read better on the page in terms of like a short story or, or like a screenplay than what's being shown here. So I want to at least give credit where credit's due that it is, especially because I think since you can't see the gore because it's wrapped up in the paper, there's a little bit of like that unknown, right? Like, so like, especially with the head, when you see its mouth breathing, that's really upsetting in terms of that image is upsetting. Everything else makes no sense. I agree with you. What, yeah, and, and like even in this idea that these things are completely autonomous, like they're just rolling around or moving freely, like getting yeah. into the upper beams of the basement, and then that it's like I I don't know, like I understand, how have, like how would it have the wherewithal to actually sense where it's at location wise, right? Right, yeah. like I I don't I don't know, it's like, stupid. I I agree with that. It's yeah. stupid and goofy, and obviously it's still outside of the realm of reason because it's animated dead parts of people. Like, and like we will also pull the curtain back a smidge. This is somebody that's in a mental health facility telling a story of what they saw. So how much of this is true? Right. Very so, fair like, as well. So I'm just saying like, when I pitched this to you last week, I knew this film was goofy and we're, we even got into the, the most goofy part of the film. But, <laughs> uh, I just, like, I feel like this is like that. It's like, this is like, um, the fun size candy for you, right? This is your Halloween jam. This is what I think. Like, this is the kind of, I know you want your serious stuff, but you also want like your more desserty watches. I, I wanted you to have a desserty watch and make it part of, you know what I mean? Like if you get to watch a movie, that's also part of a podcast, but you would get to have fun with it. That's what I was hoping for. So I'm hoping that you enjoyed it for that kind of popcorn kind of watch. Dude, this is hella fun. Like, honestly, even all the things I'm saying, I had a blast watching it because I was actively laughing through most of this film. Oh, for sure. But, I, I, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, there's there's bits. If you actually just take, like, take a step back, there's some there's some upsetting things that happen in here. But I'm sorry, I'm dragging this out. I apologize. But this is this is my favorite segment of all of them. Like, so I know that that's front loaded. But the idea is, like, it's very Tales from the Crypt. Like in terms of the, the EC comics, right? Like it's very much like, 
this is what's going on. And then, and then we get to the next story in a second. It's not that it's not similar. <laughs> what's going to happen next? But yeah. So the whole thing is that a hand falls on our, our, you know, our person's face and Bonnie's face. She takes an ax and is like, you know what I should do with this hand? I should swing it. I should swing this hatchet at my face repeatedly. That's a good call. Um, as you do. Right. So then, um, so then the story ends and we finally, she's talking to Dr. Martin and then she's like, well, of course you got to understand, like they blamed me for this. And then when she turns around, she reveals, Oh, her face is scarred for her hitting her own self in the face. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Not that scarred too. Just so you know, like. I, I think I have acne scars that are better, uh, that are yeah. worse than this. Like, I mean, seriously, no, it's, like they, it's not great, but it's like also like you know you can, you know, like I understand that like you know if if you're scarred, like you shouldn't hide it. I get it. Like you know, you are you. You live your life. Things happen, but at the same time, like if you want to take steps to kind of like you know, like lessen that impact. No pun intended, I guess. Um, you could do that. This isn't like, um, this isn't like world war one where you had half your face blown off and you have to put like a fan of the opera mask on your face, you know, like, or even, even in a monster club when we have the, uh, I, I forget the name of the storyline, but like the whistler, like the, the, oh, the, the, monster, the hume goo. Yes. The hume goo that does the whistle. <laughs> like that girl, that girl's face is like straight up melting when yes. she reveals herself. Yeah, to the that's dude. upsetting. I think it's the hume goo. Anyway, it's that whole thing's weird. But yeah, when she's like, oh yeah, my face is, my face was a, a birthday cake out left out in the rain. You know, that's MacArthur park shit going on there. That's, that's actually a really <laughs> fair assessment of what's going on on the imagery there. Like somebody left my with, face out in the rain. Like, just <laughs> like, yeah, I, I I feel bad for Bonnie, but like, yeah. dude, like she's actually still pretty beautiful. So like, yeah, I, I think, don't know. I like, think you'll be okay. I'm sorry you lost yeah. your shit, but yeah. I, there's going to be a couple guys that believe you as as much as they shouldn't. You know, like they're going to be. You know what? You know what? She is okay. It's fine. Anyway, so Doctor Martin's like, nah. You know, I'm going to go to the next person, right? So he gets up, goes to the next room, and we get to the segment called the Weird Tailor. Um, so we find, um, uh, Bruno who's played by Barry Morse and here's your twilight zone connection. He was an episode, uh, from season three called, uh, from the original series called a piano in the house that was written by Earl Hamner Jr. He came back. Oh my gosh. I, I do not like that episode It is one of my least favorite episodes of the twilight zone. It is. Mm-hmm. Hamner, 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 Hamner. Anyway, um, go it's ahead. Hamner? Yeah, yeah, is it Hamner? Yes. Did I say that? I think I said that. Hamner um, <laughs> wrote one good episode. We know which one that is. Just, just so you know, Richard, Richard, uh, Richard, a long follower of the of our uh, podcast and, and, and his a guest. Of the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, so the. Uh, we get him coming into this. He also did a Playhouse 90 episode, and he was also in The Changeling as well. Okay. I, I put out the Playhouse 90, but thank you for calling out The Changeling. I, I would say he's also a more sympathetic character in this than he was in The Piano in the House. But yeah, anyway. So then we also have Peter Cushing in there as Mr. Smith. Um, I wrote my notes in everything. Because he's in yeah, everything, well, pretty much, right? It's Peter Cushing. If you don't know who he is by now, and you've been listening to the show, like, um, like, Go check him out, but I'm also going to say you should know him by now because he's in everything. Yeah. yeah, especially like especially connected to all of this universe, the tale yeah. tales from the crypt. One of the best, uh, uh, you know, anthology stories ever presented on film. 
especially for uh, something you want to watch for Valentine's Day. Watch that uh, the little segment in Tales from the Crypt, the the film. Well, also if you guys want to, you know, Rogue One. I'm kidding. Anyway, so uh, Bro, what, yeah. shut your face. <laughs> How about a new hope? Oh, that's well, and yeah. I mean, period. maybe. I mean, I don't trust that one. I'm kidding. Anyway, so yeah, Peter Cushing's in this as well. Uh, we have Anne uh, Furbank as Anna. She's still working. She was in the Netflix series The Witcher, so she's still doing stuff. That's cool. Uh, and um, what was it? Um, let's see here. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, Rise. Of, uh, yeah, I wrote episode nine in my notes. I'm like, I'll remember that. You're right. It was Rise of Skywalker. Uh, then we have uh, John Frankly Robbins as Stebbins. He was an episode of Next Generation. Uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, Daniel Johns is Otto the Dummy. That'll pay off in a second. He was in Vault of yep. Horror. So that's that's who we have here. So the weird Taylor, when we meet uh, Bruno, he is uh, pantomiming doing Taylor work in his room. And Martin asks him some questions. So uh, I'll give it to you. Where are we at with this? Okay, so he wants to let him know that he's not supposed to be there just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And he, the, he was tasked to do a, a tailor job for a gentleman played by Peter Cushing. Of Mr. Rogue Smith. One. Of Rogue One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause he's, he's against the wall. Cause he, his rents do right. And he can like, and the world has changed and people aren't coming to his, um, his tailor shop. Right. So he is yeah. really pressed. And then whenever Mr. Smith shows up to promise to pay him this big payday, like the world has changed and he might be able to actually like, like his fortunes are, fortunes are about to turn. I think that's the setup here. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. And then and like, you know, just kind of get to the brass tacks of it. So, you know, Mr. Smith says, I have a job that I need somebody of your caliber to take care of, but you need to do it within the constructs of my, like it's basically a blueprint. He gives them all the fabric he gives him all the uh, the guidelines, and even within those guidelines, he only can work on the suit uh, through a certain period of time between the hours of midnight and five o'clock in the morning, and no later or no earlier. And he says that this job he will give him two hundred dollars for this suit. But also, like the material is like weirdly like reflective and like luminous, like luminous, like it's. You know, like it looks like I don't know. Like I need a I need a suit for a race. It's like me frill. You know, <laughs> like it, it, if it was in real life in like a fabric form. Yeah. So like it's it's a very interesting material. He's like, oh, it's going to be a little hard, but I can do this. But like, yeah, uh, Smith is like, yeah, you got to do it the specific time, the specific thing. And I like that um, Bruno's like, ah, I don't know. And he's like, he's like, well, I believe in astrology. Just do it for me. I'm going to pay you handsomely. And he's like, all right, I'll do it. You know, so it's, a, it's kind of a meat cute too, like in the sense that you know, for Bruno to pay his uh, like for his uh, rent. He has to take on some job, but he's mm-hmm. he's strapped. He's like, I don't know how I can make this money as quickly as that. And that's when we get Mr. Smith showing up through the doorway. Yeah, because like, he has a seven-day time frame. And then whenever the specifications come in, he can get it done like day five, right? Like Meaning like if I do this, what he says for me to do, I can get, actually get this in under the wire. I can pay my rent. And, and Anna, his wife, is like supportive of him. And we get like a montage of him working – overnight following the instructions 
but also he's an old guy. It's like, he's a tailor. It's just like, Oh, I'm being up late. And I don't know about you, but if I had to work between the hours of midnight and five, nothing I did would be of quality ever. I, I tell you what though, even with those constructs, he does a hell of a job. As, yes. Uh, like working on that beard that he has and the, how it meets the <laughs> mustache. No, his his facial saying. hair game is amazing. I wish I could be it's able to pull that point. off. Like I, I don't even have enough time to do that, and you know I only have three jobs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a whole bit too where he was trying to like push past like the time frame, and he pricks his finger with. What we should also mention too that the suit is supposed to be for Mister Smith's son. And he provided the measurements for Bruno and the sun's not there sight unseen. It's supposed to be a gift. That's the big thing. And the moment it's done, he's supposed to bring it to Mr. Smith's residence, whatever. But during the um, making of the suit, um, there's a bit where Bruno pricks his finger and the blood drops on the, the fabric. And it's like, like, it's like boom, boom. That doesn't make that sound effect, but the, the blood disappears. And they're like, and Anna's like, Oh, that's weird. And Bruno's like, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't know how I feel about this, but anyway, gets the suit done, goes over to Mr. Smith's house. I was going to say Smithers, whatever. It's the same thing. I, that, 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 that's where you're going. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's like, you know. what? Sure. Right. It's just like my son, Mr. Burns, you know, <laughs> as our tailor kind of looks like Mr. Burns, yeah. you know, minus a mustache. Yeah. So anyway, so he brings the suit over and, um, and he's like, but I want the money. And Smith is like, uh, yeah, I spent all this money on this book to make the suit. And he's like, but when my son returns, I'll pay you. And he's like, uh, I kind of need it now because I'm going to get evicted tomorrow. And so, you know, Smith is like, ah, you know, whatever. Like, just basically, like, don't go poking around. And, and Bruno's like, what's this room over here? And he's like, don't open that door. And he's like, I'm going to open that door. You know, like, there might be treasures in here. You know, whatever. Opens the door and there's a, a open coffin with a dude in it and Smith's like, Oh, that's my son. He's like, but he's dead. He's like, yeah, but so we find out that <clears throat> he was like, so Bruno was tasked with making a suit for, um, Smith's son. And, um, cause also Smith and part of that, a ritual, part of a ritual, but he also admits that he spent all his fortune on a book that's worth, like it's invaluable for the suit. And so then he's like, nah, I think I'm good. I, I'm going to take the suit. And then um, Smith pulls a gun and there's a big tussle, right? And of course, Smith gets shot. He he falls dead. And Bruno's like, oh, shit, I got to beat feet. And he grabs the book. He's like, this is worth money. And runs out of there. Goes home, talks to his wife. And he's like, oh, did you make your money? And he's like, no. I was like, oh, I just told the landlord you did. He's like, why would you do that? And she was like, she's not. she didn't say this. She's like, Cause it's a reasonable thing. Cause you told me you're going to do it. So it becomes a back and forth about like, I don't have the money. Also we need to leave and you should burn the suit. <laughs> you know, like, and I like how Anna's like, but why? Cause that fair enough. That's a reasonable question, right? Like, Oh, you come home all in a huff yeah, and maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe include your wife and your finances, you know? <laughs> And so he's like, just burn it. We got to get out of here. And then she's like, why? And so, so then she takes the suit away. He's trying to figure out things. He looks at the book and I love, I love how he like flips like 20, 30 pages. And it's like this, like, like, Oh, time lapse. The time, it's, like, it's like a time lapse of like, there's a suit. There's a bot. There's a skeleton. That's like this whole thing of like, Oh, the suit's supposed to bring back the dead. 
But I love how it's like the Necronomicon for like dummies, but you have to flip through like 30 pages to get to each image. Um, you yeah, know. I, I, that's yeah. a fair assessment of what this really is. <laughs> you know? And so he figures out what it is, but then he goes out front. He, well, sorry, he goes to check the oven, the stove, and he's like, the suit isn't in there. And then she's like, no, I put it on our dummy. So people maybe like our mannequin. Um, cause maybe people want to come in and buy this really cool looking suit. You know, maybe they're going to go to a rave later or whatever. She didn't say that, that. wasn't, that wasn't sussed out. Well, like no. just saying like the tran, like the transfer of that to the next scene, like that, that they didn't do that well on that one. Not at all. But she's <laughs> like, I put it on auto. She's like, he's like auto. And she's like, that's what I name him. I'm like, well, that's weird. So then, yeah, he's like, she's like, he tells her, he's like, well, you know, we got to get out of here because there was violence. He didn't have money. And I killed him. It was an accident. We needed to go. She's like, but we got to talk to the cops. She's like, don't do that. So Bruno's attacking his wife. And that's like, also I got to say it's as silly as it is. I kind of like this effect of Bruno coming to life. Like the, the, the makeup work, like the practical effect of the face is pretty cool for what it, it's like. It's like nightmare version of paper mache. I kind of like it. No, that no, that's that's completely fair. And I like, mean, you could laugh you know, at it, but it's like it's supposed to be uh, a mannequin coming to life. Like, well, this I, is yeah. seventy two too. Yeah. It's like this thing was sitting there in the you know like in plain view early in earlier scenes too. Like they they didn't just make this out of whole cloth when they were trying to make up that scene. The the mannequin was sitting there, so it's like you know I I could I can respect that. But I just don't understand how the transfer of power works, you know? What, you didn't pay attention to the book? I'm kidding. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and the quick glimpses of him doing the, you know, fanning of it? No, I didn't, I didn't understand. No, no. But then, so the, the segment ends where Otto attacks him, but then somehow we're back at the asylum. And he's like, oh, you have to believe me or whatever. It's like, wait, so you're going to blame the mannequin for killing your wife. And now you're here pantomiming sewing. It, that's not that is not as clear as well. You know what I mean. So it's a little weird. Do you feel like Mannequin was the remake of this storyline? <laughs> oh, <laughs> please and thank you. Can it? Yeah. Can I? Can I get it up? Can we get an update of Mannequin now? That is like also matching kind of, it both. <sighs> please and thank you. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. Where it's like this guy's been hired to do displays, but this thing's like waking up and like like killing people that is like, it's doing his bidding as much as he doesn't want to have happen. That would be amazing to me, you know? And as long as we still have Jefferson starship doing the soundtrack, that would be a, that would be a great goddamn movie. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. I, you know what? Someone needs to get on board right now. <laughs> people of industry. We have a story for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mannequin meets maniac. It's like mannequin act or whatever. It's like, that's what we need. Cause the whole thing too would be like, is like, is like, is like, as long as I keep my eyes on them, they won't kill anybody. And then he falls asleep and he wakes up. It's like, what did you do? You know, like it would be amazing. I would love it. Oh scalps, my goodness. Bloody scalps all <sighs> over the place. And, yeah. Can we, can we like, can we pepper in a little bit of the new exhibit with that? Like every time. Oh God. <laughs> we're, we're writing our destiny right oh, now. Oh my man. goodness. So yeah. So we have auto supposedly killing the wife and then Bruno in, in the asylum. So that's the end of that. So then we get, we get Dr. Martin getting up and, and moving on. And I, he keeps talking to Max. He's like, Oh, can you tell me things? He's like, well, the doctor wouldn't want you to know or whatever. So we get to, um, we get to Barbara in her room and she seems very aware and coherent. 
So it's very like she's of the moment. So we think, right? So that's the big thing with her. So this is, so this segment's called Lucy comes to stay. Charlotte Rampling is Barbara. Um, I know you've watched Dexter, right? So I think that's going to be the big thing with your connection. Yeah, with yeah, this. yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that like I rec, especially in the eyes, like I recognized her eyes. I was like, who is this lady? And it's like immediately when I looked through the, you know, her, uh, filmography. I was like, Oh my God, she was in Dexter. Yeah. So she was also nominated for best actress in 2015. Didn't win there, but still to be nominated. That's great. And then she was also in Zardoz, which, uh, if you've not seen that film, I'm going to, I'm going to say flip a coin 50, 50, either watch it or not. Um, if you want to see, uh, Sean Connery and like, I don't know, uh, <laughs> just a tiny fitting, like, I don't know, leather, something or other with some bandoleros. And it's, there's a large stone head that uh, flies around and vomits guns and tells people that um, was the gun is good and the penis is evil. Your mileage may vary. Zardoz is a weird film. Um, But yeah, she was in that. Um, Zardoz is fun, but it's weird. (laughs) Let's just say that it makes no sense. Yeah. She's also in uh, Orca as well, right? Oh, was she? I didn't even notice that, but Orca's a fun film. Yeah. I love Orca, especially as far as a, like a ripoff film of, Something that was like already predating, like Jaws. You know, like we had it was a Jaws. Rip-off of Jaws. Yeah, no, Orca's fun. Uh, yeah, you got uh, well, you got Keenan winning as well. You get uh, there's a lot of other uh, Twilight Zone connections there, and a score by Ennio Morricone in that film. It's Orca's fun. Um, kind of gross at the beginning with what's going on with like they when they show like um, the uh, the Orca um, like younglings or whatever. Anyway, it's. Work is a fun that's film. A, yeah. That's a terrifying scene too. Like, <laughs> yeah. Aside from all the whale death, it's a pretty fun film. <laughs> so no, I, for, I didn't even know uh, you're right. That's a good call. Uh, we also have a uh, Brit. Elk, um, oh, is it Elkland? Um, Eklund is Lucy in this. She was in the wicker man. Um, very famous in that movie. There's a uh, extended sequence in which she's a, uh, Dancing in a room like naked, it gets weird. It's, it's the Wicker Man. Not as weird as Zardoz, but it gets weird. Uh, we got James Villers as George. He was in the Bond film For Your Eyes Only. Speaking of Sean Connery, I don't think he was in that one. Sorry. Anyway, there's a James Bond connection. Megs Jenkins as Ms. Higgins. I think she's the nurse. Nothing, she did a lot of work. Nothing stands out. So that's the four main people in this. I don't know if you had other notes. No, no, I didn't have anything else on those. So where are we at with Lucy Comes to Stay? All right, so Lucy is a very interesting character in herself that, like, when she comes or, or uh, when we have our doctor come into the room, he says, you know, like, all right, what, what's your story, Matt? And she's like, but you need to. You oh, you're need talking to, about Barbara. He, he talks to Barbara. And she's like, I need a Barbara, lawyer. And Martin's like, wait, she's like, are you my lawyer? He's like, well, I, like, I'm not, but I'm here to listen. That's the whole setup is, like, he's trying to be disarming and just be like, I may not be a lawyer, but I'd like to hear your story. And she's like, you won't believe me. And he's like, either way, I'd like to hear your story. I think that's the it, setup for this, right? It, yeah. You'll understand my confusion in a moment. Folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> so, Continue, uh, right, so like the, the story basically goes that, uh, Barbara is there by the weird happenstance that, the 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 uh, the the authorities have not done their due diligence yet. They haven't found the real killer, and then we go into our storyline, and 
So she is somebody who is getting out of uh, uh, an asylum herself, I guess, at this point. Some type of some type of facility, like a a monitored uh, medical facility. Yeah. Yeah. And her is it her husband or brother? Yeah, it's her brother. It's her brother. Brother. Yeah. But the property that she's going back to is her. It's been bestowed to her uh, when her family passed away. So it's her home. But. Somehow, uh, her brother is the facilitator of her health in that, and he has hired on a nurse to also help take care of her. So when she goes back to her home, she's being taken care of not only by uh, her brother, but, you know, by drugs as well. So, like, she has to start taking drugs to be calm, understanding, and she has to take naps within the daytime. But something along the lines... Uh, there is this idea that she has a friend or something, a confidant by the name of, uh, what was it again? Lucy. Uh, Lucy. Yeah. And we don't know who Lucy is yet, but when we see her, when we see some activity in a window way, she said, she mentions the name and her, uh, her brother says, no, we, we, Lucy, there is no Lucy. We, we don't talk about her. This way he's like, like, yeah, we don't, we don't yeah. talk about her. Yeah. And, and um, so it's like, it re- gets really confusing at that point. It's like, what is going on? And then we find out quickly that her, uh, her nurse is supposed to go off and uh, see to her mother because apparently something happened to her mother. Well, the so, nurse. so the big thing here is that when Barbara comes home, with the brother, like getting the nurse and like it's, it, her existence is very much like monitored. Meaning, even though she's away from the hospital, her life is being very much controlled, like minute by minute by minute. She's like, she's like, but I'm perfectly awake. And the nurse is like, just take a sedative. It'll be fine. And like, we don't want to be stressed out. And it's like, basically we also get implied that one Lucy's not there. And then two, when Barbara's coming home, that she's getting over something right. In terms of like uh, some kind of addiction. Right. So that's the big thing. Um, but then, um, as the nurse makes her lay down, the phone goes off, which is what you're talking about. And then she's like, Oh, what's going on? My mom and things and things. Oh, the queen has died. I have to go or whatever. I don't know. Anyway. So, um, so she tells the, the brothers like, I need to go. And he's like, I'll drive to the, the, the train station. So then that's when Barbara wakes up and goes to the bathroom and, and finds a bunch of pills, which you think her brother would have like combed the house, you know, maybe. Just throwing that out there. Uh, uh, knowing people in my life that have been addicted to pills, you search everything. But somehow, Barbara finds pills, right? And the moment she starts popping pills and, like, and she feels herself again, Lucy's there. And she's like, I've been hiding in the garage the entire time. I'm like, that's a weird thing to do. Right? I don't know. Sorry. The garage is what she says. It's because we're all British, right? So, well, and, well, this is manifested very quickly, too. Because yeah. she, she douses you know, a handful of pills. And then she's like, well, that's obviously not enough. And like less than two seconds later does a handful of pills again. And then that's when we see Lucy. And it's like, yeah. so there's obviously this idea of like, well, when I get to this point and I have the pills in my hand, then we already have where I need to be on my path. So, yeah. because pills don't work that quickly, people. <laughs> 
That's but, true. I mean, but, but you should do more. I'm kidding. No, don't do that. I've che- I've chewed aspirin. They don't get rid of a headache. Yeah, I mean, I've done. I've I've eaten a lot of Flintstones vitamins, and Betty does nothing if you like, do a bunch of Bettys. I'm kidding. Um, so, <laughs> no, but like with Lucy there, and then we find out that Lucy was behind the phone call that pulled the nurse away, and and so because of that, pulled the brother away, and she's like, oh, you know, we need to get away from here, and there's this conversation back and forth between Lucy and Barbara. And like, um, and the whole thing is like, one of the interesting things there is that Lucy uh, convinces Barbara we need to go away. And then she reminds Barbara, she's like, don't you have like a hundred pounds, like, like tucked away. And then, then Barbara's like, like, yes, but why do you know that? And then, then Lucy's like, but you told me. So this becomes a thing of like, we got to get away. And then, um, <laughs> so then George comes home, right? And he's like, I'm going to sit down and be very British and drink tea and read a paper or whatever. And then he gets distracted. We see a hand come in out of frame and dump some shit. He gets roofied, right? Like straight up. Um, <laughs> and then um, he doesn't understand what's going on. He just dr- starts drinking some tea. And then Lucy's back upstairs and she's like, hey, Barbara, as we're waiting for things to happen, we need to cut the phone cord. I'm going to bring the world's largest scissors out right now to make that happen. Like these scissors are like, if you ever went to elementary school and you had like to cut construction paper, these are those scissors that somehow they trusted teachers and kids with. These are huge scissors. Yeah. They're, they're very much like the fabric shears yeah. that you would see. Like these are scissors you'd use for a ribbon cutting for a building or a marathon. They're huge, right? Like they're just, it's, it's ridiculous. She's like, you know what? We need to, we need to cut a phone cord. And Barbara's like, well, okay, I guess. And then Lucy's Lucy's like, you know what? Get dressed. I'll be back in a second. And then she goes down and she cuts the phone cord. And then in the meantime, Barbara takes more pills. And then this is, this is the part watching it again, where Lucy's like, wait, you're taking more pills. And Barbara's like, it's not what it looks like. And Lucy's like, huh, you value those pills more than your brother, me, everybody else. And then Lucy gives her shit about the pills. So, Knowing what you know about the segment, isn't that kind of interesting where Lucy calls her out for her pill usage? It was really confusing because I'm like, all right, so did we get to, especially what we know a little bit later, does the does Lucy get introduced because of the pills or is somehow the pills kind of like tapering off what Lucy is and yeah. like is how it, that works into her is life? This a drop like, dead, I, is this a drop dead Fred situation or not? Like, right, right. <laughs> Man, that is a good parallel to draw here right now. Really good parallel. I yeah. love that movie. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I think it was funny that she's like, "Oh, you choose these pills." And so like, you know, she gets you know, gets upset with uh Barbara and then she disappears, runs away, right? And then um that's the thing what was it um, you know, what we what well, well, we forgot about the phone call where George comes home before he drinks his tea, he gets a phone call where, where, um, what was it? The nurse is like, Oh yeah, somebody lied to me. And he's like, I'll come get you or whatever it was. It was a weird thing. Or sorry. No, he said, pay for a taxi. I'll reimburse you. So the nurse is coming home. George drinks the, the tea that's roofied. Lucy cuts the phone cord. They have the conversation. And then a uh, Barbara takes some more pills. She calls out the drug usage. We talked about that. The nurse is back. Um, she, she wanders into the living room and sees that George was stabbed in the heart with those scissors. And then she goes over to make a phone call. The phone cords cut, which we know. Then she goes upstairs and then she gets stabbed like in the heart as well. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty sudden and grab. It's like when we talk about Robert Block, 
ha- he has a penchant for staircases and stabbings. Do you think he has a type? I think he has a type. Well, I mean, that's fair. And it's obviously very cinematic as well. Yeah. And also like this whole disassociative, sorry, possible disassociative personality. Huh. Where have we seen that yeah, before? Don't, yeah. don't give the ghost yet. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, after the nurse is stabbed, that's when uh, Barbara tells Dr. Martin that Lucy did it, right? And she's like, she did it. That's why I got to have a lawyer. And then Martin's like, well, where's Lucy at right now, right? And then she's like, she's right here. And it's actually a pretty decent effect for 72, right? We got Barbara uh, looking in the mirror and she sees Lucy. So it's two different actresses, right? And so Lucy's there in the room with her, supposedly. So the whole thing is that Lucy's a construct of Barbara and Barbara did all the murders. So we're to believe. And I think that's, it's an effective little twist, but yeah. Yeah. It's the best part of the story, honestly, in my opinion. Yeah. That reveal. That was a, it was a pretty cool little reveal, but then you're like, Hey, what did Robert block? Right. Psycho. Mm. This is like diet psycho. Like if you get psycho (laughs) zero, like it's the Dr. Thunder versus like the Dr. Pepper. I'm kidding. Anyway, that's not <laughs> the Dr. Pop version version of Dr. Pepper. I don't know how, yeah. how many other uh, Dr. Pepper knockoffs there are out there, but anyway, I endorse every one of those yeah, pepper, right <laughs> pepper PhD. I don't know. Anyway. So, so then we move on to the next segment, which I don't know if you noticed, there's two different spellings of the segment. There's the American spelling and the British spelling. I prefer the British spelling because it's so dumb. I love it. Uh, but we get Martin walking out and then supposedly being shown like the last person that's like, Oh, I've got to bring you to Dr. Byron. And it's like, okay, great. So, uh, this segment is called mannequins of horror. Um, the British spelling is M A N N I K I N S. I prefer it. That's a lot more fun spelling of that. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Well, that's the one I wrote down too. Cause I'm like, well, this obviously has something to do with something else. I don't yeah. know what, I don't know. But it just it it, reti- it makes me think of a Thirty Rock joke where someone talked about that they, they uh, donated all their <laughs> they donated all their pubic hair to Merkins for Hope. That has nothing to do with, it, but it feels like I don't know if you know what a Merkin is. Look it up. It's 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 the it's the fake stage pubic hair people put on to not show their actual stuff. So when I saw <laughs> when I saw mannequins of horror, I thought of Merkins of horror, which would have been a way different thing. Um, a Merc, a Merkin's if you're going to be nude on stage, but you don't want to actually be nude, you wear a Merkin. Does that make sense? Like, it's a thing that happens, right? So I love the idea of the 30 rock joke is like, yeah, I do it in my hair to, to Merkin's for hope. Meaning there's like these people out there that are like, oh, I've been so like, um, just my life's been so rough that I can't, I can't, like I have to have a Merkin. And I can't show public. pubes yeah. like. <laughs> Yeah, it's such a dumb joke. I love it. Anyway, so yeah, when I read when I saw the spelling of mannequins, I, I was like, that's not far off. Anyway, so yeah. So in this segment, we have Herbert Lom as Dr. Byron. Uh, he was in the dead zone, which I know it's a film that you did do dig. Um, we have uh Sylvia Marriott as the head nurse. Um, she was in Never Say Never Again, which if I remember right, is like the one unofficial Bond film that um Sean Connery was part of. There's a weird licensing thing where it, they could do it, but it was like a remake of Thunderball, if I remember. But like anyway, so it's 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 Bond, but not Bond. Uh, Frank Forsyth as the Asylum Gatekeeper. Uh, he was in, and now the screaming starts, which is another Asylum film, Vault of Horror, and Tales from the Crypt. So that's like 
then we get to when we get to the epilogue. But those are the other people that are part of this and the epilogue. That's the last people involved that we have not talked about already. So I right. don't, I yeah, don't know so if you have credits like, for anybody else. Yeah, we only see like uh, certain characters for a moment in yeah. the beginning. And so now uh, all the other major characters kind of come full circle. So yeah. that's where we're going to talk about now. Yeah, so we have Martin coming in to meet the Dr. Byron. Byron seems pretty collected, right? But he is obsessed with his uh, figures. <laughs> where he's like, I just... Sorry, Terry, please. You've not seen this film before. Just talk about his research. It is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in a movie. So these are uh, like cohorts that he's been around, apparently. But yeah, and co- like, co-workers like, or uh, what do you call them? Like the, these are other people. He's making these these things that are based upon uh, previous like co-workers and um, oh, what's, what, what I had, colleagues. Right. So other, other people, colleagues of his, he's making these things like representations of them. So he's made these dead eyed pop figures of them. <laughs> and <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, I like that. You said dead eyed pop figures versus pop figures. I know you and I have that conversation. <laughs> like the majority of pop figures have dead doll eyes. I will say that these don't because they're, they're the reverse of pop figures where they have a very detailed head and like a nothing body. Like it's so like, Oh, but they uh, still have dead eyes. That's that's fair. That's fair. I just feel like, like you, one of your favorite films of all time is the, the, the day there stood still the bodies. These figures like Gort, but he decided to go to like, um, like, um, old country buffet or whatever. Like, um, you know, (laughs) Uh, see, I, (laughs) dude, I understand that there is a limitation within like, (laughs) What they're trying to do for this film, and that it's like, but don't do it, don't do it. If that you can't do it, then don't don't do do it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These, I hate to say it, guys. This is the most ridiculous (laughs) of the entire movie. That I'm like, yeah. I was just laughing the entire time. I'm like, because I'm like, this just just looks stupid. It just really. These figures have a gray bottom, but so when I said old country buffet, maybe Golden Corral. If Golden Corral had robots, it's like. they're just little, these little fat robots with like little squat legs and little hands, but then they have a pseudo realistic head. Like it's weird. It's so weird. He is very, very, very weird with the head, but like, they're like, um, like, uh, what is it? Rock'em sock'em robots. <laughs> yeah. With yeah. The but, but like obese ones, like, oh you know, my God. it's like a bunch of George Foreman's with different heads, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's a bunch of butter beans. It's a bunch of butterbean robots with different heads. Um, yeah, it's like this is the one yeah. that I'm gonna I'm gonna criticize the most because it just looks so silly. Yeah. And I like I I mean obviously this is being fiction. It's still super super unbelievable. I think you could have shot because this. of some yeah. of the actions that these things are able to do. Yeah. I think you could have actually shot this with like. With, so the whole thing is that he's building these little ro- robots. Um, you know, here, one of these. He's building some. A robot. He's building these little tiny robots that um, supposedly they have. He can instill his consciousness. Well, yeah, but they're supposed to be anatomically correct, but somehow have like uh, like um, this little tiny spaghetti guts. Well, that too, but all, (laughs) (laughs) but also like this little tiny metal outside and some thick legs, like you know T H I C C. But like so all things like he's putting like his colleagues, he, but they, but he's like, it's almost like a voodoo doll thing where he's doing a likeness of everybody. 
like his colleagues making these little dolls. He explained to Dr. Martin, he's like, I figured out a way to do this and make it down to the detail and I can project my, uh, my consciousness into this. Like, okay, well, that's a ridiculous idea. But con- uh, considering everything else we've seen so far, okay, fine. But just the way these things look, like, um, no, 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 no. I would say what you should have done is just actually put like dolls on the shelf. Like, like get some like, like Barbie dolls or Ken dolls. Or at the time I know that the GI Joe figures were pretty big and just put a different head on them. So you could at least buy like the physicality. I think that would have worked a little better. Right. And then when you shot it in a miniature, which we'll get to in a second, you could have done like, had, had somebody like act like they're slowly walking and, um, like, to we'll talk about one of the podcasts you're on here recently, but you mentioned uh, Puppet Master. You like there were there were ways to do this way better than what we saw. It, very much so, and, yeah. and like I, I, I like I agree with you. Like maybe we could have split the difference and had a better body, mm-hmm. and just like something just be uh, non featured, I guess, as far as the facial features, um, because we get the idea that we have uh, Byron controlling this little uh, kind of like what we're uh, what yeah. we're supposed to understand is like autonomous, but he's controlling it. Well, he says he can. So I'm here. Let me pull this back. So you and I talked about um, the episode steel, right on uh, the, the right. Which one, like, you know how they did like a cast of the person's face and right. just kind of put the mask over. You could, it's fine. It's a weird death mask. Yeah. But you could have done that too. Right. So I think that'd have been fine. But like with this, like, so the, when he's talking to Dr. Martin about this and Martin's like, yeah, we're done here. This is like, this is silly. And then, so before we get to the projection, right, which is so dumb, um, he goes, he's like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. So he tells Max, like, I gotta go, I'm going to go talk to, uh, Rutherford and is like, you know what? I think I'm done now. And he goes downstairs and he's and he like, r- rides by on his motorcycle. Yeah. That- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's, I, no, it's just, um, we're in that weird part of the year where I have my window open. So, which by the way, where I live now, there is not nearly as many, um, um, fire trucks, and ambulances, <laughs> you know, fireworks, you know, but I, I definitely heard Terry rip ass on a motorcycle going around here. So, you know, while you're still recording, right? <laughs> like, I have a really good sound system in my, uh, he- my headset. Yeah. So. No, no, no. I just, I also want to imagine that as we're talking about how these robots can't move around, right. There's the one where like, it just go, it just like, you remember those toys we grew up with where you pull them back? And they let him go and they just run crazy. That's what I want to feel like. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That was going on. Um, so anyway, um, so yeah, like the whole thing here. So Martin goes downstairs talking to Rutherford. He's like, you know, and Rutherford's, have you figured it out? And, and, and Martin's like, you know what? I don't really care. Cause this is all like, like you're being like, you're not helping anybody. You know, but he also thinks that, um, uh, Byron is Mart is Dr. Star. Cause it seems pretty, seems pretty apparent, right? All things considered. Uh, but then, uh, Rutherford's like, yeah, there's one way to cure them. And he pulls out his lobotomy kit. He's like, yeah, you know, just like, just, just, just stuff this, stuff this knife in their head and sever, sever the frontal cortex and they're good. And Martin's like, I don't know about all that. Martin, you know, say what you want. Martin's on the right side of science of not making people potatoes. That seems fair. So they have this conversation, but in the meantime, 
uh, Byron is a projecting himself into his tiny self and somehow nobody notices the slow moving really loud is like garbage robots walking around. Like this thing's like, like, you know what? Eight inches tall, but it's making so it's like those little like toys we get when we talk about pulling back where it has like the little spark wheel in it, where it's like, like shooting lightning all over the place being loud. That's a bad sound effect, but it's like, that's what it sounded like. It's like, how could, how can nobody notice this thing being super loud and then somehow walking its way up to a dumbwaiter? Like, sure. But anyway, like it's so dumb. It's so not the dumbwaiter, but yeah, that was so stupid. Yeah. I was laughing so hard because it's like, it had to climb up to that point too. It was like, come on guys. It's like, let's use reason a little bit more at this point Yeah, when we're filming the scene. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And then whenever Martin's talking to um, the, uh, the other doctor, it is, um, he's talking to, I had his name in front of me. Um, shoot. It, um, you know, what is it? Max. Uh, no. Uh, what I say, uh, <laughs> why do I want to say Rob Halford? That's not the same. That's the lead singer. of uh, Rutherford. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dr. Oh. Rutherford. I would say Rob yeah. Halford. That's not, that's not the same person and you know, your metal. So I would, I, I would have, I would have loved to have seen Rob Halford. You know, <laughs> the metal God himself. Is that man. Jewish priest. Is that Rob Halford? Damn straight it is. Okay. Okay. Look at me getting some things right sometimes. But yeah, he's British, so he could. That's true, right? We've been like breaking the law of humanity, making tiny dolls. (laughs) Um, No, so uh, so yeah, no. But he's talking to Halford about like Halford. Rutherford did it again. Oh my gosh. Talking to Rutherford. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So anyway, they're talking about like differences of opinion, but somehow the doll, like, so there's a tea service brought in and like the doll of Byron's underneath. That's so stupid. It's so stupid. And then he ends up on the desk behind Rutherford. He picks up like the lobotomy knife and stabs Rutherford in the back of the head and he dies, which fair play that should kill anybody. And then um, we get Martin being like, oh, shit, there's a tiny guy with the guy's head I know. And he's like, I'm going to stomp it. Good call. Like, good call. But then he runs upstairs and he like you know, he opens the door and goes up there. And the intern, oh, sorry, the orderly Max is like, I don't know what's going on. It's like, what? He's like, Byron's dead. He's like, what? He's like, I just heard him cry out. And it's like, and he's been squished. Because whenever whenever Martin stepped on the doll, we saw insides like Chef Boardee. Yeah, I was like, gonna say, uh oh, spaghettios. Like he just squish, you know. Like, yeah, it's so stupid. But because he talked like earlier, he's like, I made all these internal organs. I'm like, yeah, but what about skin and muscle anyway? Uh, but somehow, which I I know this movie didn't have the budget, but I would have loved to see Byron just like crushed. <laughs> you know, like because that's implied, right? It's implied that when Martin stepped on the his extension of himself, that he crushed him physically. I wish we'd have got a quick shot of Byron just squished. I think just I, I all think I want to yeah. see is just like big raviolis, just like spilled <laughs> out. Like that's all I want. <laughs> like someone opened like family sized cans of Chef Boyardee and just spilled them all over. Like because I, I, th- I think I read that like it was like fettuccine or something like that that they used for the insides of the little robot. I was like, what would they have used for the larger version of the character? Like, it would have just been ravioli. Like, I would, have been, I would have been fine with that. Manicotti. So I, manicotti, yes. Yes. Uh, you can't have manicotti without M-A-N. So I appreciate that. So so then after that happened, that's whenever um, we get the whole thing where, what was it? We get Dr. Martin. Um, he uh, He goes to the orderly's office 
like to make a call or something. And he's like, Oh shit, there's a, there's a body on this stretcher. And he goes and pulls it back and it realizes that like, there's been an orderly there dead the entire time. And uh, Max is like, Oh, I didn't have time to dispose of it. And he's like, I've been Dr. Star the entire time. <laughs> And and then he kills. I, you didn't really achieve the laughter. Yeah, well, no, nah, no, nah, nah, just, just, uh, just Terry. Prom, like I promise you, you'll hear it here in a little bit. I promise oh, you. Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, you know me. You know, you know where I was going to go with this at the end of the episode. Everybody, tuck in. Um, yeah, <laughs> right, right. So then, so then, um, at the end, we get the epilogue where a new doctor shows up and um, Star. As an orderly, he's like, oh, I'm going to let you in. And it's like, I don't know how this is like a self-sufficient hospital where he just keeps inviting new doctors in just to kill them. But whatever. It's your frame story. And it's like, you know, good night. Like, thanks for coming. Right. So that's um, that that's your movie. Right. So um, I'm glad that you enjoyed this. It's it is it is silly. Um, it's like the last segment is really, really, really dumb. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun watching from A to B. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to take away from this yeah. film as far as enjoyment. Yeah, uh, like I I don't I don't necessarily like the wraparound and how it kind of concludes concludes that. Sure. Like everything, like kind of wraps up. That, that that's what I mean to say. Um, but like there there are things to take away from this. So like, I think they. Like, especially like one of the things I ever want to do for a kind of a, a party is just like take the best of anthology film and kind of wrap it up. There are some decent stories within this that I could like wrap into that. Mm-hmm. So, like, I had fun with this. I did. I really had fun. With I know, and I know you would. And I'm hoping people that check this out will have fun with it as well. Like, don't expect any like high art. It's just, it is what it is. Um, you know, shot on a micro budget, you know, at the time and it, you know, it made a profit enough. Like there's a lot of these smaller companies that could get by just being like, well, it's going to go to the theater. We have some, we have some no names. It's going to make its money, make enough that we can make the next movie. Right. And I think there's, there's a, there's, there's a spirit to that, that I can respect, um, to a point, meaning there's other companies that have come after this, like a film, a film company called the asylum, not this film that just make garbage for garbage sakes. I don't think they were trying to make garbage. I think they were trying to make the best they could with what they had, you know? So it was also a really tight turnaround to make this film. So if Robert Block's going to pump out like five stories, you have the writer of psycho. Cool. Let's just go. Right. So like you could do way worse. Right. And I think, um, I, I think this film would play really, really well with a crowd of people. Right. So I think also now that I've watched it the second time, and this is your first time, if, if this was ever a thing that you and I were together and be like, Hey, we're going to put asylum in, have fun with it. Like you and I could like dip in and out and know what's going on because people were be like, what is this? I'm like, yeah, just keep watching. And none of the stories really overstay their welcome as dumb as they are, which I think is kind of one of the benefits of this movie. I think that's a good way to put it. They don't, they don't overstay their welcome. Mm-hmm. And like, there is a, there is quite a bit of heart within each one of these uh little vignettes i guess uh like i i do enjoy it like i and, you know and again like they had their hardship uh, when it came to making this like it was filmed in 24 days um the guy who was like i think it was like the director of photography uh had to be put into the hospital well, he stepped away because he got a terminal illness and so somebody else right. had to step in so yeah 
There, there's also a number of like named actors that stepped out. So this was very rough and tumble to get this done. So for what it is, it's, it's very competently made. And as much as we get frustrated with some of the decisions made, there's some really cool, like um, when they do the transitions to the different stories, it, it, it might be a little old hat now, but like the bit when we get, um, when we get Barbara, like looking at the mirror originally for her first story, how it like goes in and gets like distorted and like pulls back out. There's some, there's some cool transitions in this. There's thought putting this, the, the shots, which like, that feels like a given. That's not always a given anymore. And again, uh, I, people, please reach out to me. Reach out to us about, like, if you did watch this on, like, some of those uh, streaming yes, media. Yes, please speak about this. What, yes. Dude, one of the, the funniest ones was, like, the frozen fear when they were going into it. It looked out to the window, the window frame there, and immediately I heard, Queens, I want to be free. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the Norwegian like cruise oh, lines. Oh, I swear to Christ, that's amazing. It was that's that amazing. Jump. Yeah, it was like it went up to the the, the framing of the, the the window, and it was like I want to be free. Yeah, I think, and it was me. Norwegian. <laughs> I, I think like, for me, when the freezer got open, the first thing I'm mean, going to cut to like Taco Bell, like something going on. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, it was so stupid. It was so stupid. Yeah. That's, yeah. So, like, this is uh, my <laughs> viewing experience that I hope that everybody has because I just want the feedback now. Please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Best. Thank you for bringing it up because we talked about that. So, do you have any other notes about asylum before we uh, round this up? Dude, I think I covered them all at this okay. point. <laughs> so we're going to get to the twist, but we're going to change it up a little bit. Twist rating normally for things we do is like one to five, meaning like we saw it like coming from a mile away, being like a one, and then five being mind-blowing. Um, I think that's not going to be accurate here because it's varying degrees. I'm just going to ask you your favorite segment um, of the sequence because it's varying degrees of quality. Um, there's different twists along the way, but which was your favorite? I, I enjoyed all of them in their own little right, but I think maybe the one I gravitated towards the most might be the the weird tailor. Like I think there were some really interesting things going on in that story. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also like the very human reaction of Bruno, right? Like I think there's a very he's a very relatable character, even with him being frustrated and wanted to like murder Peter Cushing. So I'll agree with that. But mine just from a pure, like what is going on standpoint will be frozen fear, right? Like I think you could do a version of this now. Um, that would be like, just don't CGI it up, but I think you could do a really creepy version of, cause there's something about that, like taking the, the time to meticulously wrap up the body parts and having them like move on themselves, not like not have spatial awareness. That's weird. But you know, like, there's something there, you know, like there's something there, especially again, I keep focusing on the head that's breathing. It makes no sense, but it makes it creepy. So I dug that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was very enjoyable in itself too, but like, dude, there were a couple of sequences there. I was like, what is going on? Because like, especially because like the, some of those body parts became so autonomous that they were like, Floating in the air, yeah, no, to, it was, like, yeah, it was silly. Yeah. the hatchet. I was like, okay, guys, come on, yeah, <laughs> it's a little much. You're right, so I agree with that. So, 
that's going to do it for our discussion about Asylum from 72. Like we've talked about, there's multiple ways to watch that. Please, please, please check it out if you've not seen it already. Um, yeah, sure. We may have, we maybe we've talked about the story beats that should not discourage you from watching the film because it's a journey worth taking. It is goofy. Uh, it's, it's super goofy, but it, it, it's, um, I don't, I don't like this version of dessert, like, or, or Halloween candy. It's the candy corn of the season. I don't like candy corn. You can fight me. I don't like, I know Terry is like, I don't I'm know. Gonna if you're, fight you. I'm going to fight you. Candy sure. Did you, did you want little, little pumpkins? Did you want wax that tastes like nothing and hurts your teeth? Sure. What about that? Anyway? So, well, I um, don't eat McDonald's, so I may as well eat that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But this is, this is the, this is the, this is the treat versus the trick, right? I think this is a lot more like, this is the fun. Like you could, like I, just in terms of like even age group, you could show this uh, like a little bit younger group because the the gore here isn't that much, it's considering everything else going on. You know, in terms of like where people were at, this is a fun little film. Watch it with the group. It's a good time. It's a good fun Halloween film to get into. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a lot of fun. And there's other uh, Amex films to get into. So please check it out. So in the meantime, though, after like watch that. Let us know your thoughts and feelings. You guys can find us on Facebook at Strange Highways. We're always posting images and things. You guys can find us. Um, you could uh, email us directly at strangehighwayspodcast.gmail.com. Wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us. be greatly appreciated. And Terry, where can people find us otherwise? We're still on Instagram, folks. We're still waiting for you. <laughs> We're our, we've been sitting in the depths in our uh in our ice cooler that's just waiting <laughs> yeah, for you yeah, to open yeah, us up all of us we're just we're just torn apart just waiting you know yeah so my torso my torso is moving towards you boom 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 like it's just it's slowly moving you know <laughs> yeah we're having fun over there um please join in on that fun and you know like paul says every week please go over to those like little podcast servers that you go to and rate review follow i know some of those uh some of those uh servers have like a follow feature now yeah. that might be something that helps us out yeah, anything the, would be appreciated anything positive wherever you, wherever you find this um like like again the big thing for me is like i understand that like our reach isn't wide but those that listen we do truly appreciate every one of you we appreciate the conversation this has been a lot of fun i love talking to terry but i also like i, I know i've mentioned this multiple times on the show the third the third person is always you you know viewers like you like, that's the npr thing but you know what i mean like my gosh like if you enjoy the conversation and you want other people to be like you know what like I'm done with true crime. <laughs> Check out what we're doing. I'm, you know what? I'm done with, uh, other shows that watch, uh, like I keep seeing every t- Terry, every time I turn around, there's another podcast that's doing a watch through or something. I'm like, Oh yeah, thanks. I remember my first beer, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> that's very fair, but you know, we do have our allegiant audience and it's like, we thank you guys so much. And yeah, you know, we're going to read, I think we might do at the end of the year, like a, a thank you to everybody who's like, like reached out and, you know, said something throughout the year. Like I, we really, really appreciate our audience and we thank you so much for being here. If you're a new listener, I hope you enjoyed this. Like I, this is something that like we put a lot of blood equity into, like we, yeah. we sacrifice a lot of time to do this and we really appreciate you just kind of tuning in yeah as much as as terry uh, puts up with me being an idiot like we put we put our time in right like that's you know i i you know i'm always going to be able to try and shop but i i 
Terry and I are going to be friends forever, regardless of we record the show. But I enjoy, like, I will always be super stoked for the conversations that we will have. And I hope you guys will always be along for the conversation as well. You know, whether it's Terry and I in front of some microphones or not, we're going to be talking about shit and it's going to be fun. The more the merrier. I know I keep saying that, but I think that, that I think that's apt. I think that's the way to approach this. So, yeah, I mean, it's all word of mouth, too, like at yeah. this point. So if you know somebody who might dig this, please share. Yes. Please, uh, you know, like continue following us. So thank you guys so much. But like, what's up, Paul? What's going on next? Well, no, 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 no. Don't. Nope. You, you have something to talk about. So oh. uh, you did, you did something big. Well, maybe it takes longer according to how big it is. Well, this is a big one. All right. Yeah. Downright. <laughs> it's big. So you did something <laughs> big recently. So talk about that, please. And thank you. Oh, uh, so I, uh, our friend, our long-term friend here and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a staple towards uh you know everything we do and uh, you know just a good human being uh el goro had me on his talk without rhythm podcast and we discussed uh 1980s friday the 13th and 1981's friday the 13th part two and it was a great conversation and thank you so much brother if you're listening right now like it was a great conversation and uh, you please, guys, tune into his podcast because he does a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. He is a man of enderable knowledge, like of all film. Like he, I, I, he surprises me all the time. Like you can't put a cap on his knowledge. Yeah, it's all. It's like, 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 why are we friends? Like, you know, like I'm always like, it's like, this, it's like, it's like one of those things. Like, thanks, Superman. He's like, thanks, thanks, Jimmy. Whatever you know. Like this whole thing, you know? <laughs> right. Like, he is you know, the Superman of this one. I know. I know. He's always going to be like, you know, whatever. Anyway, no, it was episode 638, which you posted on our, our, our Facebook uh, already. Uh, I listened to the episode. It was a lot of fun. Uh, El Goro is doing a, he's, well, not only is he doing a Friday the 13th re- retrospective through uh, the month of October, uh, he's covered some other Friday the 13th films, but he's covering the rest he's not done yet. So every week you're going to get two Friday the 13th films. Um, I may or may not have called my shot for later, but um, we'll see. Well, like I, Terry and I are divided about some of the later uh, entries in the series. We'll talk about that when we get there because Terry's wrong. But he's also like uh, El Goro, which he's doing a thing called his 31 Days of Halloween, where he watches for th- like 31 days in October. He watches a film that he's never seen and talks about it. I have no idea. Like Terry and I do a podcast once a week. I, I do another podcast once a week. That's two podcasts. I have no idea how I do like 31 in a month, let alone doing four other episodes. It makes no sense to me. He's inhuman. Um, I question his heritage. He might be, he might be a Highlander. I'd have no idea. In more ways than one he's inhuman. I, it's a, the guy is just an incredible nature. <laughs> Please listen to his podcast. Uh, give him some feedback feedback. Cause he definitely deserves it. So, I mean, like, yeah. thank you so much again, if you're listening, El Goro, and I uh, hope to be talking to you soon, brother. Yeah, it was, good, it was a good talk. I listened to you guys. It was a lot of fun. Go check that out. So let's get into what we're uh, doing next. And now, Mr. Serling. So next week, uh, we're going to go another detour. We're going to have some, wait, we have at least like three more detours to get through spooky season. Let's just be honest. We're going to figure it out. If you guys have other suggestions for us to get to anything on anthology based, let us know. Uh, we're open to things. So what we're getting into next is the Ray Bradbury theater. 
Um, it was for five, it was five seasons. It lasted and it was all, I looked, every single episode was based upon a Ray Bradbury story and he's kind of the host. Also, he's not as charismatic as, uh, Rod Serling. Hmm. Wonder why. Anyway, so we're getting into the Ray Bradbury theater next week. It is season four, episode six, a sound of thunder. Um, Google it. You guys can find it. It's on YouTube or Vimeo where we find it. Um, there's like, weirdly enough. There's not a big collection of this, the series, but I was able to find it easily. Um, I, I'm not saying go pirate stuff. If it's not like go support the creators, but if it's not something you can go actually go actively support, it's available for Googling, right? Same thing with the Albert Hitchcock that we did. Um, I got some feedback that it took a little bit to find it, but these things are out there to be found. Um, yeah, it, it, I found it within three seconds. Um, you guys should be able to, to do it too. I cannot wait to get in some Ray Bradbury and a sound of the thunder. That's a cool little story. We'll see how it goes. I'm excited for it. Yeah. If you're listening to this and it's something that you, like you actively cannot find, then just reach out to us as quickly as possible. Then we'll send you we a can, link. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'll send you a link and then hopefully you can be involved in the conversation, but I can't wait to dive into this because he's obviously, obviously an incredible talent when it comes to writing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he didn't like Sterling a whole lot. <laughs> but anyway, that's going to do it for us this week. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. Um, I don't know. If you're going to project yourself into, like, little dolls, pick some better goddamn dolls versus whatever the hell that was. I don't like that. Uh, protect your spaghetti guts. Ha 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 ha!